Good day, and welcome back to the Authentic ID podcast series, where we educate, inform, and discuss all things around identity verification and fraud detection. Authentic ID is a pioneer in the identity proofing and fraud prevention space. Driven by patented AI and machine learning technology, our solution delivers 99% accuracy in counterfeit ID detection and biometric verification. Leading financial services firms, telecom companies, credit bureaus, and businesses worldwide have adopted Authentic ID's solution to mitigate fraud without sacrificing user experience. On our podcast, our team of experts and special guests will bring you the latest on identity technology and fraud trends to help businesses and individuals manage identity simply and safely. I'm your host, Todd Santarelli, and I'm very pleased to welcome you back to our third episode, How Fraudsters Steal Data in the Digital Age and What You Can Do About It. Digital transformation has changed the way we live, work, and play, but it's also made us more susceptible to identity fraud. Our guest today will tell us how fraudsters steal data in this digital age and offer solutions for businesses to combat these activities. Our guests today for our roundtable discussion are Blair Cohen, founder and president of Authentic ID, and Mike Engel, co-founder and head of strategy at One Cosmos. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. So great to be here. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here talking about my favorite topic, fraud. So, Blair, how do you see the increase in identity fraud affecting consumers who are transacting online? There has been just an incredible increase, Todd. It's, it's pretty astounding. So obviously, we've had to do a lot more things online since the pandemic. You were no longer able to go to a brick-and-mortar store. So we've seen a significant increase in online tra- transactions as a whole. In 2021, there was a 65% increase in digital or online account transaction volume. So pretty significant. However... Correlating with that, we also saw a 233% increase in fraud across that channel. And you asked about how it affected consumers. What we're also seeing is that the average loss has risen dramatically. Um, It's estimated that 110 million people, 22% of the U.S. population has become a victim just of account takeovers with the average loss being over $12,000, which again is a significant rise in in average loss. Indeed, those are shocking numbers. Now, Mike, at One Cosmos, you work with many businesses implementing workforce solutions. How does this same threat affect identity security at work? Yeah, that's a great point. There's um, different goals for the bad actors in a workforce environment versus, uh, say, consumer banking or something along those lines, federal services. Uh, over in the, the consumer world, you are trying to steal somebody's money or buy some product that you shouldn't, you know, you're not paying for. On the workforce side, you're typically trying to either steal a paycheck. So I'm going to say that I am somebody else, get hired. That's called uh, proxy interviewing or, or contractor jacking for the purpose of stealing a couple dozen paychecks and then the gigs up, or maybe you have 10 jobs, right? That was a common um, form of, of uh, employer employee fraud uh, for a while, or more, for more nefarious, I could be a state actor and I want to say I'm somebody else get hired. And then now you've got really some insider access. So it's referred to more as insider threat 
than fraud when you apply it to the workforce side of the house. So, Blair, in what industries are you seeing the highest uptick in identity fraud activity? Well, I think we're seeing it just about everywhere, but I want to kind of tack on to what Mike just touched on. And it's a pretty alarming statistic. Um, I come from the background screening world. That's where I cut my teeth prior to tackling this identity problem. And it was pretty common for somebody applying for a job to lie about their criminal history or to lie about their educational credentials or to lie about their employment credentials and, and the jobs that they held and the salaries that they made. But it was pretty rare for somebody to be applying that wasn't who they said they were. And a report just came out last week that showed that 7.6% of job applicants are fake people. They're either impersonating somebody else that has better credentials or worse yet, you know, they're a state actor. And when you think about the harm that somebody can do by draining your bank account, yeah, that hurts. But the harm that you could do becoming an engineer in a nuclear power plant, that could really hurt and hurt a lot more than just one person. So that one to me really stood out. And Mike, how about government entities, local, state, and federal? What types of fraud schemes are they encountering? For COVID, it was the stealing of, of, of either the um, direct payment checks or participating in the PPP, right, the Paycheck Protection Program, where you claim to be either a business or somebody who owns a business and you get paid a percentage of your annual revenue up front, no questions asked, you know, Scout's Honor won't have to pay it back. And that resulted in billions of dollars per state so I heard some some stats that uh, you know, one of the smaller states suffered 30 billion in losses just by this one form of fraud itself. Uh, and you know you could do smaller things as well, such as um, intercepting federal uh, subsidy programs. So imagine if you could spin up 100 different uh, identities and be able to get that monthly check or monthly you know food program check, whatever it is, government service. There's a lot of money to be made there and organized crime has really leaned into that. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things they're trying to do to mitigate that. So, Blair, what are some of the trends or growing tactics fraudsters are using? We are seeing fake IDs at record levels. Um, so if you look at where fraud is detected in an account onboarding process, roughly 70 to 80 percent of the fraud detection isn't happening from all these fancy machine learning rules. It's simply by fraudsters creating counterfeit IDs and trying to impersonate somebody that they're not, or they've created a synthetic identity and they've created an identity document that matches up to that. But from there, we use other techniques other than just what you have being your government issued identity document. That's the gold standard for proving identity around the globe. But most companies, if they're going to accept an identity document online, add other, re add other tools to make sure that a fraudster isn't going to beat them with a really good fake ID. So, for example, there's face matching. The person at the end of the transaction has to take a picture of their face. And roughly 5 to 10% of the time when that happens, their face doesn't match the, the photo on the ID. So it was probably a credential, maybe a real credential, 
that they've stolen from somebody else and they're trying to use it in a nefarious way. And the face recognition will detect that. The other thing is probably similar, is that instead of trying to use their own face to match up against that headshot on the ID and be, being detected by the facial recognition technologies, they'll attempt to spoof my face. So they find my ID out in the parking lot. There's plenty of video or pictures of me. They would hold a picture of me or replay video to do that match um, to the identity document that they found or stolen. And we're finding that about 5 to 10% of our liveness checks, so we have all kinds of technology that makes sure that that picture is being offered of that person at the end of the transaction is of a real person captured in real time. Roughly 5 to 10% of that time, those are our spoof attempts as well. So these criminals have really gotten creative. It used to be they just needed to steal your name, your address, your date of birth, and your social security number. Most enterprises have gotten wise and realized that you can't just use what you know and we need to incorporate other factors such as what you have, a government-issued identity document, and what you are from a biometric standpoint. Mike, I imagine fraud has a profound impact on businesses. Can you tell us about the wide range of damage it can cause? Yeah, how much time do we have, right? Um, you know, th there's a couple things. So the, the, it depends on the entity. You know, in, in, um, as these breaches happen, as Blair, Blair pointed out, what we call inferential databases. How do you infer that you are Blair Cohen by providing the data? So I have, a so I have Blair's social, his home address, and I can answer those three silly KBA questions, right? Knowledge-based authentication. Um, what street did you live on when you were two? Or what was your mom's shoe size when you were 11? That stuff's all been hacked many times. So um, we're seeing now uh, a move towards the types of technologies that, that we're talking about here today to mitigate that. And it's kind of a cat and mouse game. The impact to the business is... is uh, it depends on, on which lever you're pulling, but when one of our clients has 1,500 new account openings per day requested, and they're detecting 1,200 of them as fraudulent. So imagine the, the tax to the system and the amount of fraud checks that they're doing behind the scenes to stop that. And this company isn't doing document verification yet. The, if they impose mandatory document verification, right, present a government credential and scan your face and match it, that number would go probably from 1,200 down to you know dozens, at least in the beginning. So there's the taxing of the infrastructure. Then, of course, if the account does get set up, you can just you know, bleed money through the services that are stolen, uh, you know, bank accounts that get taken over or set up, credit limits that get blown out for fake identities. And synthetic identities is one of the, the, the least understood. We're used to people stealing somebody's identity, right? If they get a hold of me, my account, they steal my credit, they get a new mortgage or something, it really impacts me. But who's the victim for a synthetic identity of a person that doesn't exist on the planet today? This is getting really common. So uh, there's a couple ways to mitigate that as well, as well. But that is one of the grow fastest growing forms of fraud is on the synthetic side. Now, Mike, educate us a bit more in terms of how identity verification has evolved over the past decades. Yeah, well, you go back many years and it really was just type in your social, right? That's That was the lowest common denominator back in the day. And as socials got leaked, that became 
harder and harder to protect. And then you started augmenting it with other, you know, maybe your phone record tells something about you. I've had the same phone number for 10 years. If I can get a message or a call on that phone number, automatic, then, you know, you're, you're upping the ante a bit. It's hard for a bad guy to get a hold of my phone number. Um, but then the, the growing trend here is, is identity verification from a trusted source of truth. And that could be your driver's license, right? It's something nearly everybody has in their pocket. Passports are another common form as well. Uh, state documents, tribal cards, right? there's all kinds of options for this. And they bring a, a trusted credential to the now to the uh, transaction that you can have another level of assurance that this is the person who they say they are. And then on top of that is, you know, because we all have uh, a 12 megapixel camera here with uh, our phones and, or our webcams on our laptops, you have ways to verify that the person is who they say they are. And you couldn't do that 12 years ago, right? The, the iPhone barely existed back then. The camera quality was terrible. The bandwidth wasn't there. So there's a lot of tools at our disposal now that weren't there. And uh, the more we use them, the less that the, uh, the fraud will get through. So Blair, with digital transformation happening at a rapid pace, how can businesses create more future-proof solutions? There are a variety of things that businesses can do to protect themselves and mitigate, mitigate against online, plus the internal threat vectors that exist. You know, first of all, you've got to get the proofing of that identity right up front. It's really crucial that we no longer use antiquated methods like just putting in your social security number and hoping the credit bureau returns the name that's been associated with that social security number. Um, the next is, is KBA. That doesn't really work. Asking me questions with uh, an interesting fact is that fraudsters, a good indicator of fraud, is when a person's able to answer KBA questions 100% accurately. Most people aren't able to do that. So I really do see the assimilation of, of additional signals. You know, there's a, this movement towards reducing friction on behalf of the customer. One of the methods that Mike just asked for or talked about was being able to ping that phone. You know, if we can really ping that phone and know that it's Mike, that's the name on the application, AT&T says that's Mike's phone. It's belonged to him for 10 years. You can have a pretty high degree of confidence. But these days, everything gets leaked. So I do see biometrics becoming a key part of transacting in the future. It's something that we never forget. Nobody can steal from you. We always have them with us. It's this perfect combination of fraud prevention and user experience if you get the identity proofing part right and make sure that we're enrolling Mike's voice, Mike's face, Mike's biometric modalities that he wants to transact with in the future. Um, it's crucial that that step is, there are no expenses spared along that step. So gentlemen, briefly in closing, if you could each leave us with a key takeaway here, what is one thing a business can do today to protect themselves and their customers? The first is just to get started. There's, you know, this, is, this isn't a let's wait and see. We know the fraud is here and we know that there's technology that can mitigate the fraud. Either you're hiring or you're onboarding a new account. The platforms are there to do this today. And so it, it's just a matter of, of getting started. And you can A-B test this stuff really well, right? You don't have to do change your entire 
uh, state of, of onboarding flows. You can do one tomorrow and really figure out the people, the processes to make it all happen. So um, it, it, it's a matter of uh, incremental gains, whether it's proving who somebody is or properly authenticating them with you know, passwordless technologies, which now are, are uh, one of the answers to account takeover. I would just say, get started and, uh, and, and make sure it's, it's a top focus for the C-level, which trust me, it is. Oh, just to add on to that, I'll, I'll echo Mike on passwordless. You know, I started out with the stats that 22% of the U.S. population has had an account takeover, uh, and, and the average cost is $12,000. Interestingly, 60% of the people that had an account takeover during that time frame used the same password for multiple online accounts. So we, we need to get a little bit more efficient with our 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 password care. Um, awareness, you know, make sure that everybody in the company is aware that fraudsters are creative. They're going to use phishing to impersonate legitimate clients or even the CEO. Encourage your whole staff to use password managers and to have more hygiene when it comes to their passwords. You know, after you see multiple failed attempts, there should be a step up, whether that's a capture or a biometric authenticator. You know, and then limit the number of attacks or attempts that a person gets to try to create a new account or to conduct a transaction. So what was interesting in this article that I was just looking at, we're, we've lost a lot of money here in the U.S. I started out with that, but we're actually not the worst in the world. China is worse. We've lost about $52 billion over the past five years. China's at 118. Germany and the U.K. are both above us right now. So let's keep keep going in the right direction, U.S. Yeah, one thing, Blair, that we didn't touch on here is the importance of standards around identity. You know, you're one of the experts on uh, the standard that proves who somebody is remotely, right? NIST 863-3, certifying body, Cantera. Um, and that combined with authentication standards, such as FIDO, passwordless authentication, uh, making sure that the solution you implement <clears throat> has those two standards covered and then if you are using biometrics, you might want to comment on on some of the standards and, and mechanisms to make sure your biometrics are safe. Right, Blair? Yeah, 100%. I mean, 863.3 is crucial. Wherever possible, we should always go to system of record checks. And we're starting to see those those document issuers open up their records to, to certain entities. So that's always going to be better than a forensic examination of a physical document. So wherever possible, do that as 863 prescribes. But if you are using biometrics, it's certainly essential that you use a highly rated facial recognition algorithm that doesn't exhibit any signs of bias. There are plenty of good ones out there. Uh, NIST is a good resource. They publish a report called FRVT, Facial Recognition Vendor Test, on a monthly basis. It'll measure not only an algorithm's efficacy, but their performance across all the different demographics that exist, whether you're old or young, male or female, light skin, dark skin. Uh, and the other thing is, if you're using biometrics, it's super important that we make sure that there is no spoofing going on. So when it comes to things like face biometrics, it's essential that you look for a liveness detector that has received an iBeta, had level two certification. 
Um, that essentially means that that algorithm cannot be spoofed at all. Thousands of spoof attempts have been performed against it with a success rate of zero. So crucial that you make sure you pick you know, non-biased algorithms that work efficiently and that they are, they're all certified by the appropriate bodies. This concludes our roundtable discussion for today. During today's session, both Blair and Mike referenced biometrics several times. If you'd like to learn more about how facial biometrics can help your business, please access our previous episode for an in-depth presentation around biometrics. And don't miss our next episode. The Authentic ID podcast series is available on our website, as well as your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social for alerts and updates as new episodes go live. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to welcoming you back for our next episode.